Good morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you on this MLK weekend. Can we give a big round of applause for MLK and the work that he, what he committed his life to? Uh, Does anybody know how old MLK was when he was assassinated? 39. I think about what he accomplished in 39 years. And what makes him such an inspiring figure in our culture is that he lived a life of purpose. In 39 years, he was focused on the thing that he knew he had to do and had to accomplish. And, and I wasn't there. I never got a chance to meet him, but I would imagine those who had the opportunity and privilege to speak with him and watch his life, they watched him move from, oh, this is like something I'm doing to this is something I have to do. This is something I'm supposed to do. This is something... I need to do. See, what makes people like MLK so such attractive figures to us is that they lived a life of purpose. They live a life much bigger than themselves. And as I've gotten older, I've wanted to think more about the man, the motivations, not just his legacy and the, and the elements that he fought for. But as I thought about him as a man, I thought about this truth that in order to live the life of purpose that he lived, it was costly. It cost him something. Now, yes, we know uh, it ultimately cost him his life. But as I've gotten older, I started thinking about the other things that it cost him, right? Like he probably wasn't able to go down to the rec center and be a volunteer coach for his kids. I mean, he probably wasn't, like, I think about what would he have done to celebrate his birthday? Maybe one of the 29 times that he was jailed was on his birthday, or his birthday was coming soon, or his kid's birthday, or his, someone in his family, or his wife's birthday. Like, he, it cost him something to be this man of purpose, that we now all get to celebrate. There is no national holiday if he doesn't live a life of purpose. See, the truth is to live a life of purpose is costly. We're in this series called The Good Life. And what the good life is not, the good life is not a life filled to bring you happiness. The good life is not a life for you to just accumulate things and just get a ton of affirmation just to make yourself feel good. The true good life is a life of purpose. And if the true good life is a life of purpose, then what I want you to know today, we're talking about purpose, but I want you to know to live a life of purpose is costly. See, those that we admire had this one consistent thread about their life. They were the means to an end. They weren't the end themselves. See, Martin Luther King wasn't the, the end. He, wasn't, uh, uh, he was a means to 
ensuring and pushing for this country to recognize black people as people. He was a means to helping the world see that there was injustice in how black people were being treated in this country. He wasn't the end-all, be-all, and those, that, it's that reality that makes his life an attractive legacy to follow. But here's the truth. As I think about it, I desire to be a person who lives life on purpose. Like, I really do want, as I'm walking down the streets of Harlem, I want people to, oh, yo, that's the guy. He does a lot for the community. Oh, amen. But, but I want that, and I desire that. And, and, but here's the truth. Here's where I struggle, Renaissance, if I could be vulnerable before you. Here's where I struggle. Sometimes I don't know that I'm willing to pay the cost. If I were to be real with you, the things that I know would lead to me being a person who's living a life of purpose, I sit back and I'm like, do I really want to do that? And I would imagine those of you who desire to live a life of purpose, I wonder if you are wrestling and considering, well, if it's going to cost me, can I do it? I think about uh, growing up. Um, as I grew up in Brooklyn and I played basketball, and uh, when you grow up in Brooklyn and playing basketball, like, you have to be good, <laughs> right? Like, you're supposed to be good. You should be good. But the key thing to being a New Yorker who plays basketball is your handle. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to be able to be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to be able to do that. Outside of New York, people are known like, oh, if he's from New York, yo, he got a handle. You know what I mean? He, you know what that is, handle, dribble, right? <laughs> dribble in a basketball, right? And I grew up with that. And, and when you, as a New Yorker, when you, when you make a move and handle and you have nice handle and the crowd starts ooing and awing, it's like motivation for you. And so I remember times growing up, I would hit my, ah, 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 hey, mm, 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 hey, right? And then I would dish it off, and the man would score, my boy would score, and it would be so, like, invigorating. But fast forward, I get to college, and there's a lot more structure in college, you know what I mean? They have defensive schemes, Gina, you know what I mean? They put these things in place for guards like me to struggle, um, <laughs> And so I remember playing, and I would try to dish it off, and it would always be a turnover. And I'm like, man, this is so frustrating. Back in the day when I was, eh, 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 right? It would be good. But my coach sat me down, and he said this. My coach said, Aswan, why don't you make the pass so that he could make the pass to get us the assist? Here's why that was so profound for me, because what he was telling me, he was saying, Aswan, in order for you to really help the team, you have to be a means to an end. You have to be the one willing to, to sacrifice getting all the accolades and all the stats. You were just a contributor to the fact that the team actually scored, and now we could win a game. To live a life of purpose, you have to be willing to be a means to an end. You have to be the one willing to sacrifice the accolades 
so that the team could win. And, and, and let's think about it. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you have to discard yourself. To those, I'm just talking to the Christians in the room, to the Christians in the room who feel like you have to run yourself to the end and that's the only way to be good for God, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't have to throw yourself away. You just have to take yourself out the center. Think about that. Do you want a life where it's just you at the center? Do you want a life that's only focused on you and your happiness? Unfortunately, I've been to and have done too many funerals where we are scrambling for things to say about the deceased. And my fear is that if, if, if I, when I get to the end of that time, that people would scramble to say things about me because I lived a life just for myself. And I don't want that for me and I don't want that for you, Renaissance. The true good life is a life filled and motivated by purpose And to live a purpose-filled life, it's costly. See, what we all enjoy and admire are people of purpose where they are a means to an end and not an end. But before we get too far in our message, I want to define purpose. It's very profound. Purpose is why something exists. But I wonder if we can go a little deeper today, right? Purpose is why something exists, but but can we dive a little bit deeper today? I heard a pastor kind of give these two contexts when thinking about a life of purpose. He says this, he said, what if you didn't ask the, usually the question that we ask, I'll say it this way, the question that we ask is, what am I here for? And most of us, some of us, maybe you've, You've, in this new year, you are thinking, you are asking that question as you're planning your new gym routine and trying to figure out your new disciplines. The question you're trying to maybe answer is, what am I here for? But he says, what if we eliminated that question and we substituted that question with this one? Who am I here for? Who are you here for? Renaissance, think about that. If you change the paradigm of the question and you asked, who am I here for? Man, you would, you would be forced. There would be something inside you that would necessitate. You have to live a life greater than just for you. Do you believe there's someone that you're here for? Man, a purpose-driven life is really the good life, but it's a life that's costly. Our purpose isn't lost, Renaissance. You don't just find your purpose. The question is, are you willing to pay the price to live a life of purpose? See, what I want us to focus on today is this. The true good life is costly, and why? Because the true good life is a life of purpose, and to live a life of purpose will cost you something. It's not that you and I can't find our purpose. My question today 
is are we willing to pay the price? Now, I do have to say this because I'm looking around the room and I'm, I'm not looking online, but I could imagine there are people following us and listening online who are saying, as one, I hear you about this purpose talk. But if I were to be honest, man, I, right now, I don't have the privilege or luxury to think about purpose. I'm just trying to get to the next day. I'm just trying to make it to the next day. 2023 was difficult. It was hard. It was tough for me, my family, my finances, my career, my health. There were some difficulties I faced in 2023. So I hear you as one started this new year thinking about purpose. But right now, I cannot afford to think about living this life of purpose because I just need to get to tomorrow. I want you to know, those of you who that is true for, I want you to know maybe God's purpose for your life was just to make it here today. Maybe it was just for you to online to crack open the laptop, actually type in what you needed to type in to get to the live stream. God sees you and he knows you. And embrace where you are because God will meet you exactly where you are. To those of you that that's true for, I also want to say, although, man, I think you could have the day off today. I'm not saying you could take this message and put it in your pocket, but I also want you to be encouraged and remember that there's a God who's a miracle worker. There's a God who makes a way out of no way. There's a God who recognizes when you get to the end of yourself, he's so excited to start. So even and the challenges and tribulations of your life right now, God could still possibly use you and your situation. But to those of us who that is not true for and we are trying to shape and design our new life and we want to be on purpose and we're like, okay, I'm going to embrace this idea of who am I here for, not just what am I here for. There is still some struggle in living this costly life, yes? And here's why. I think there's a real struggle because we would prefer easy over hard. Simple. Even my overachievers, at some point, you work as hard as you work so that other things could be easy. Generally, as people, we just would prefer, it's the path of least resistance. We would rather have something easy than do something hard. Amen? I think also if you, if you think about this journey towards purpose and the cost, the reason why we struggle is because we would prefer comfort over discomfort. I don't know about you, but I would rather be comfortable than to be discomforted. I like comfort. I would choose comfort over discomfort most of the time. And here's the other truth. I would rather pleasure over pain. Like, think about the people you admire most. Think about the individuals, maybe in your life or in culture, that you admire most. Were their lives easy? Did they always take the easy route? Think about the people you admire. Were their lives comfortable? Did they, did they live a comfortable life? Think, of, think about the people you admire. Were, were their lives devoid of pain? Was, was it? No. The people we admire, the reason there's a Martin Luther King Day and a legacy 
is because he was willing to not take the easy road, to take the hard road, to be discomforted, and to endure pain. And I'll just say this. I don't think we are a people who want a life not of pain. We just want to know that the pain matters. We want to know that the actual pain that we're going to endure is worth it. And I'm here, our message this morning, and we're going to look at a scripture in a few, is to say even though this true good life, this life of purpose is costly, I want you to believe and walk away with this life. It's worth it. It's worth paying the cost. So we're going to look at a portion of scripture today from a, a pretty pronounced biblical figure. His name is Paul. And uh, Saul in the Bible is just his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. Paul, Saul and Paul are the same person. But when we look at Paul's life, we're going to uh, be able to get a roadmap of what it means to pursue this life of purpose. But here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want those of you who are thinking about today's message around purpose, I do want you to take notes. I do want you to, to jot down and pay attention to the points because I do have some points. But what I don't want is I don't want you to think I'm going to give you some linear steps so you will leave here after this message and know exactly what your purpose is. That's not what this message is designed to do. This message is designed to prick your heart to motivate you, to push you towards a life of purpose that is bigger than yourself, not discarding yourself, but taking yourself out of the center and thinking about when I as I'm going through life and I'm searching for purpose, maybe I could turn my lens towards the things that, that God is asking me to give up. I can turn my eyes to the cost and I could have a, a, a better framework, a better lens for how to build my life and think through, okay, if I want to live a life of pur pur purpose, these are the things that it's going to cost me. And I want you at the end of today to say, the cost is worth it. I'm willing to pay that price because I want to live a life of purpose. Because think about it. Do you know why we don't have millions of MLKs? Because it's hard. To live a life of purpose is costly. That's why we don't have a million holidays of people, national holidays of people, because it's hard. And what Paul does in his story, in this account, it gives us a roadmap of how we could live this life of purpose. Amen? Acts 1, starting at verse 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way was the description at that time of Christians. Christians were called people of the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. That's crazy. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Man, I think sometimes as preachers that that we could relegate Paul to just some dude that wrote uh, three-fourths of the New Testament or that he is just some biblical author or some sort of church planner. Now, those things are true, but Paul was a real dude with a family, with like a real interaction with Jesus. And, and I hope today as we look at and think about purpose and the costly nature of it, that we can glean from Paul's life the willingness to pay the price to live a life of purpose. Now, in order to do that, there's a few points I want to highlight. One is this. We have to embrace God's interruptions. I'm going to say that again. We have to embrace God's interruptions. So, peep, Paul is now, um, he gets this letter. He goes and gets this letter so he can go and make sure he puts the people in prison who are following the way. And he has his agenda. He has his mindset. He hops on his horse. I don't think there's uh, any coincidence. He's on a high horse, right? Um, But he's on this horse and he's focused on getting to Damascus. He has what he's supposed to do in mind. But God had a different plan for Paul. God intervened in Paul's actual agenda And when God shows up, God says, I have a totally different plan for your life. And as you think about living this life of purpose, here's what I want you to do. Maybe there are some things that God is weaving into your life that he's he's not asking you to be afraid of. He's asking you to embrace because it's him intervening. Maybe there's some things right now that you're afraid of. You, you have a hunch or a sense. You have a plan, but there's a thing that's happening, and you like, somehow, something in me, I can't escape what's happening right now. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I also feel like this right now is important. Maybe, Renaissance, that's a godly interruption. And our tendency, my tendency at times, is to look at those things and be fearful, like, oh, no, I can't, I can't do that right now. I'm supposed to do this. But what if God is asking you and I to embrace this godly interruption? See, this hits home for me because uh, I have a blended family, and I remember thinking about uh, young Aswan as he thought about what life would be like and how I would find a bride and get married someday. I'm thinking to myself, it's going to happen one way. And I remember meeting my wife, and my wife had two girls before we got married. And I remember, like, Lord, like I'm not, I, Lord, I, I wrestle with this because this is kind of what I'm expecting, was hoping for. But this right here, oh, man, this is beautiful. This interruption right here, I can't escape it. And that interruption, once I stopped being fearful of it and embraced it, it became the most beautiful thing in my life. 
What if God is asking you to embrace a godly interruption? And see, you want to be fearful. You're scared of it. I'm saying, no, what Paul's life is helping us understand is that, yo, there are some times when God peers into your plan and he says, I'm here now. I want you to pay attention. As you live, look to journey and live this life of purpose, pay attention to where you can embrace God's interruptions. But I want us to be mindful. Everything that comes into your plan is not a godly interruption. Some things are just distractions. And if it's a distraction, I'm asking you to, yo, treat it as a distraction, leave that joint alone. Now, for real, some of, some of y'all, that's hitting home because you're like, man, I'm, you kind of know deep down inside it's a distraction. God, is this a godly interruption? No, it's a distraction. You know that. And we have to be discerning the point of the, the, the life of the Christian. You, you are to live uh, uh, with disciplines that keep you connected to God so you can discern and sense when it's a godly interruption versus when it's a distraction. Amen? Secondly, I think one of the points I want to pull from this is you have to begin to accept God's invitation into discomfort. To live a purposeful life, you have to accept God's invitation into discomfort. Check this out. Paul, as he was raised, what he was doing at the time, the idea of of imprisoning and even sometimes executing people of the way, he believed it was right. In his mind, he's like, yo, I'm doing the right thing for God. And when God has this interruption in his life, the invitation isn't for him to just be some kinder person. It isn't for him to just say, okay, Paul, the way you jail them, just be a little nicer. Don't kick them. Just, you know, put the cuffs on and be gentle as you take them to prison. It wasn't that. When Jesus interrupts, when Jesus knocks Paul off his horse, he tells him, I need you to completely become a different person. I need you to walk away from what you think is the right thing and let me show you how to really live life. Let me tell you what it means to be a follower. Let me show you what it means to be a follower of the way. See, Paul was invited. Do you know how hard it is to take what you've grown up thinking and believing that is right, to put it to the side, to accept this new thing that you're not even familiar with? God was inviting Paul into discomfort and renaissance for you to discover the purpose that God has for you. I wonder I wonder if God is intentionally inviting you into discomfort. I wonder if he's inviting you into the space to say, you know what, the way you actually think about it, that whole thing probably needs to change. Leave that here and come follow me. Not only do we want, I want you to embrace God's interruptions, but I want you to accept God's invitation into discomfort. Third, you have to recognize that you need patience in the process. You are going to need patience in the process. Here's why, because think about it. When Paul was knocked off his horse, he was blinded for three days. Now, we know the account tells us that he was blinded for three days, but when it happened, Paul didn't know. 
It wasn't like Paul was given some instruction before he got blinded. It, it, God didn't, Jesus didn't say, hey, Paul, it's only going to be three days. Hold on, bro. I got you. I know what you're going to go through. It's only three days. No, it wasn't that. He was blinded, and then he had to endure. He had to be patient to understand that this Lord that he just met in a radical way, this Lord was calling him to do something different, and he had to be patient in the process. Yo, Renaissance, you don't know where you are in the God story. You might need to endure some patience. You might, or be patient. Maybe you don't endure patience. You know what I mean. You might have to literally slow down and say, okay, Lord, I don't want to move before you. Let me be patient and listen. Let me take me out of the center. And let me ask the question, Lord, who am I here for? It's not really clear right now, but I'm going to be patient. I love, there's an author uh, by the name of John Mark Comer, and he has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I, I, love, I love this book because in this, he says, the solution to an over-busy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Can you slow down your life and in 2024, orient it around what really matters? Because not only should you embrace God's interruptions, not only should you accept God's invitation into discomfort, but you need to recognize you will need patience for the process. Here's the last thing. I want you to trust that God will provide. So Paul, check it. He's knocked off his horse. He is told that he is, he's, he's blinded. When he gets up, he can't see. And what happens? The people, his, the people that are there with him, they take him into Damascus. And then I want you to hear in verse 11 what happens. The Lord is preparing behind the scenes some man to help Paul get his sight back. See, some of you don't believe that God will provide because if you begin this life of discomfort and if you begin this journey of purpose, the cost, you're going to be the one left out there. Well, there's a God who sees you and knows you and he says, I will provide for you along this journey. Listen to this in verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. This is the Lord talking to Ananias. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Man, God behind the scenes was working things out. So Paul, in the intermediate step before he became this biblical author and this church planter, there was a dude named Ananias who was going to provide for him. When he gets to Ananias, Ananias touches his eyes, his eyes, he's open, and now he can see again. And now Paul can begin the journey of this costly life to live a life 
of purpose. Renaissance, I want you to know that God will provide for you on this journey. And here's the thing. You might be thinking, okay, uh, I love how in verse 15 it says, uh, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. And, And for the believer, for the Christian you should be saying, man, I, uh, I, I want to be the instrument that God uses to proclaim my name. But some of you might be saying, well, how do I do that? Well, here's one. One of the ways you could do that is think about your gifts. Your gifts weren't designed for you. Your gifts could be designed to use for other people. So you could, in service to other people, think about your burdens. I think about MLK and what he was burdened about. The second thing is burdens. What he was burdened about, the injustice of people in this country probably grew in his heart. And so he went from, this is not just duty, this is something that I must do. There is something that burdens you. For Jordan, it's the the lack of uh, equity in education. For me, it's like, it's surface level Christianity. For you, I don't know what it might be, but God has given you a burden. So if you follow that burden, if you follow the crumbs of your burden, you might discover your purpose. You might see what the Lord is asking you to do. And when you get there and you see the cost, I want you to pay attention and say, okay, I'm going to embrace this cost because I want to be a person who's living life on purpose. And lastly, it could be your interactions. Renaissance, maybe you've already been positioned to proclaim the name. Think about the things you're already connected to. God is saying you don't have to fly overseas. Think about what's right in your circle. Here's what I want to close with. I believe this. Every Christian should have this as their purpose statement, Acts 20, 24. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Acts 20, 24, I'm going to read it again. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, the gospel, uh, it says this, Jesus was willing to pay the cost, and he is now calling those of us who want to follow him to pay the cost in a lesser extent. The cost of your soul, the burden of your soul for you to be back in right relationship with God, Jesus says, I'm willing to step out of uh, the glory, my glory, and come down and live a life and die the death of a criminal so you and God could be cool again. And I don't want you thinking, Renaissance, that God is just some, uh, some army, uh, some tyrant that's saying, oh, I want you to go out and do these things. What God is saying, I want you to know that you're my beloved. You belong to me. Listen to this in Acts 13. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Lord has set you apart, Renaissance, for him. See, your true purpose is to make God's name known. How else will the people in your building, the people at your job, the people in your community know that God is good? 
Well, when they see your life and your willingness to pay the cost, they will look and see that there's a God that loves them, that is calling them not just to be greater people, but to be his own. From the beginning of time, God says, I want children. I want you. When, when God looks at you, he says, you're my boy. You're my daughter. God is calling you to himself. He doesn't save us so that we can do things. He saves us so we can be connected to him. And it's when we understand that price, the cost that was ultimately paid for our souls, we then, as we consider a life of purpose, consider the cost, and we are willing to pay it. Forgiveness says you go unpunished, but the gospel says you can come home and be his beloved. Let me pray. God, thank you for the truth of your gospel. God, thank you for the reality of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.